As we begin chapter 8 tonight here in this amazing book, this book of the apocalypse, this unveiling, the book of Revelation, let's ask God to bless our time in his word tonight. Father, we again have just come to hear your voice, Lord, to have you speak to us through the majesty of your word. Lord, these amazing words of life authored for us some 2,000 years ago but are actually taking shape in our world, in our day, and in our time. Things that then were so foreign are so common to us, Lord. And we just ask that you'd prepare us for all that you have for us. As we receive your word, would we receive it with gladness? We ask all these things as we lift up that team in the Philippines, Lord. We we pray that you would bring great fruit, Lord, that there would be a report of lasting fruit ministry that we will be engaged in until you come uh, there in the Philippines. So bless the team, bless those that they're ministering to. Pray that your gospel would go forth into this world. Lord, save those kids, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever asked yourself the question? Because let's face it, it doesn't seem like God answers all of our prayers. Amen? doesn't seem like it. But we know that his word declares that not only does he hear, but he does answer our prayers. And so sometimes we have to ask ourselves this very simple question, where are all those prayers at that have gone unanswered? Because we have prayed as the body of Christ as individuals, we have prayed for righteousness to come on this earth. Amen? I've prayed, if you've been with us, and I would encourage you this coming Sunday, we're continuing their study in the Lord's Prayer, the Sermon on the Mount. Be here for that. But part of that prayer is, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is already right now tonight in heaven. Amen? That's part of that prayer. Jesus said, look, when you pray, pray in this manner. So pray for my kingdom to come to this earth, not in a minor way, in fullness and completeness. That means, brothers and sisters, all evil's got to go. Amen? Because what's happening up there is not evil, it's joy. All the stuff that we see in our world, God someday has to take care of. And what we're studying in the book of Revelation is, in fact, God's response to all of those collective prayers, and very specifically here in chapter 8. Because God is going to answer them. He is attentive unto the prayers of his kids. I want to begin with a little story. It's a man named Orville Mitchell Sr. Pulled this out of Christianity Today a number of years ago. And I love this story because it is a picture very often of our prayer lives. And probably every one of us has at some time or another wondered how our prayers are being answered. Amen? What's God doing with them? Orville Mitchell tells this story. He says, In the middle of the night, I awoke to a most terrible moment of a very realistic dream. I don't know about you, but I do that. I'm with Orville in this. Every once in a while, the enemy just 
fills your head with something. You, you like take a deep breath when you wake up because thank the Lord Jesus, it's not real. Amen? But you never know. He might be speaking to you about something. So I, again, don't know about you, but I, I will every once in a while say, Lord, if that's from you, then I want to pray right now to deal with that. That's the story. And in that dream, he said, I was driving a car and I just struck a child. The effect on him was so real that uh, he climbed out of bed, got down on his knees, asked his father in heaven to not let that thing happen to me. And then it was though the burden had been taken from him in his sleep. And he was restored to sleep. Not another thought was given until the next day. He was now in a car with five of his friends. And he goes on to say about his own experience, I was at the wheel and we were moving out of Worth Street at around 25 miles an hour. And suddenly an urge immediately to stop came upon me with no apparent reason. And this we did very abruptly. And while the other four passengers picked themselves off the dashboard in the back of the front seat... All five of us tried to figure out why this abrupt stop was necessary. We were amazed at that moment to see a child clothed only in a diaper walk out from between the parked cars directly in front of us. Next came his mother, charging out of the house, bounding over the curb right into the street. She angrily grabbed the child without much more than a glance in our direction, retreated into the house. And he went on to say, to whom do you suppose has the Lord demonstrated his love in the remarkable answer to this prayer? The little tot will probably never know that his life was spared. The mother was so angry with herself for letting the child escape from the house, it's quite likely that she never breathed one thank you to the Lord. To the four occupants of the car, having heard the events leading up to the sudden stop, They certainly understood how great it was. But for me, who would have suffered the most had the Lord not intervened, to me, it has meant the most. You see, we really never know when the Lord chooses to act on those prayers we offer up by faith. We simply are responding and doing exactly what he's asked us to do. All those prayers that you have prayed, I've prayed for those who do evil in this world, those who abuse children, those who murder innocent people, those who persecute our Christian brothers and sisters all over the globe. I pray for those who incite hate, uh, for God to deal with them. I pray for righteousness to come. I pray for people who are not guilty of crime, to to be found innocent. I, I, I pray constantly for things that I seemingly do not see the Lord answer those prayers. And in fact, one could say, if one chose to look at it from the wrong perspective, that maybe God doesn't care. Maybe he's not listening. Because I've prayed for a long time. God wins. When are you going to redeem this world? When when are you going to act on what you said you would do? Because these things can't be pleasing to you. The fact that we're negotiating whether a biologically male child can take showers with females in a female bathroom, to me is like, oh dear Jesus, what has happened to our world? 
That's insane. It's not loving. It's not kind. It's not even accepting. It's impressing the will of one and forcing it on the other 500. Our world's a mess. I have prayed for these things diligently. God, don't let this go any further. This is crazy. And yet, it seems like at times we're heading the wrong way. Here in chapter 8, we see that the focus of this seal as God opens it up is him actually answering the prayers of the saints. Check this out, verse 1, Revelation 8. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel, having a golden censer, came forth and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of, notice it, all the saints. Upon the golden altar, which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises and thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. You see, God isn't missing any of the injustice in our world. And by his amazing grace, by his incredible love for all of mankind, including people who are lost, including people who are patently evil, including those who even intend harm at times. Remember, the Lord loves all of mankind, even the lost. He loved Judas. Don't don't miss what Jesus said to Judas. Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? You, You see, God is hearing all the prayers. And one day, he's going to step out of eternity and back into time. And he's going to take care of all of the injustice. He's going to make right all the things that have occurred, these crazy laws, these insane rules, all of this stuff that's going on all over our country, all over this world. God will one day take care of himself. Left in mankind's hands, the direction's not good. Pretty plain to see that, isn't it? When you look around the world, again, it's not to be a prophet of doom. It's just to simply acknowledge what actually is going on in our world. It's not getting better from a biblical standpoint. Amen? It's really not. We're not getting kinder. We're not getting more gentle. We're not becoming more respectful. We're becoming more belligerent towards the things of God. Humankind is very steadily moving away from anything that one could call a biblical mooring. A right standing before a holy God. Righteousness in our lives. So as we look at the world, 
Imagine now that there are between one and two billion Christians on the face of the earth as we, as we sit here tonight. If we take for granted that those who profess to be Christians are actually Christians. So we're just going to leave it at that. We're not going to debate, you know, well, this guy's fruit doesn't look so good. Let's just say that everyone who names the name of Christ, who says they're a Christian, is actually a Christian. Let's just go there. And let's take the lower end. That's one billion people. And let's say that they pray five minutes a day. That's hundreds of thousands of hours of prayer going up to the Lord every single day. Imagine that. And yet, the Lord's kind of seemingly put them on some giant hard drive somewhere in heaven. And we now know where that is. It's at the altar. And he's hanging on to every last one of those prayers. And here it appears that the angel now takes those prayers and says, okay, it's time to act on them. The times of the Gentiles have become, as Jesus said, full. The day is up. The time is over. The world becomes that collision course. There in Second Timothy chapter 3, you see, we've been told that these things would come, but know this, verse 1, 2 Timothy 3, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will become lovers of themselves. Might as well put that on our money, amen? <laughs> Land of the lovers of themselves. Or lovers of money. We could we just lump it together. Lovers of me and bucks. Boasters. It's like I'm waiting for a TV show to just be honest. Boasters. It's all that's going to just be the name of the show. Just be people bragging about their own accomplishments for 45 minutes. Proud. We're not just proud. We're proud about arrogantly evil things. We're, we're proud about these things like a bathroom bill that allows boys to shower with girls. I'm telling you, as a parent, that ain't happening. It's just not happening. And if we stand by and let it happen, we've got no one to blame but ourselves. Time the body of Christ stood up and said, not now, not ever. Not acceptable. And yet, we don't. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Now, I'm not suggesting that parents need to, you know, take out the rod and whack their kids every time that, you know, they say something they shouldn't say or do something they shouldn't do. But I'm thinking it's gone a little bit far when parents can be thrown in jail, thrown in jail because they slapped their child. I know when I was younger, I'm kind of glad I only got slapped. I deserved a pretty good flogging, actually. 
Again, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking child abuse here. I'm just simply saying it's gone a little overboard. We wonder why now kids find it not very difficult to be completely disobedient to their parents. Unthankful. We live in the land of unthankfulness. Unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal. Now, notice the context. Know this, that in the last days, when God gets ready to answer all these prayers that have been offered up, Lord, why are these things going on? Why don't you step out of eternity and into time and deal with these things? Why, God, why? What are you waiting for? It's clearly wrong. It's clearly evil. Without self-control. Think about it. Brutal. Brutal. And whether you're talking about those who disrespect other people for the slightest of reason or, or just outright mean, we live in a brutal world. Life has very little value to most people anymore. We're just numbers. One of the fears with our medical system right now is the way it's being driven by the dollar. So that eventually you're going to get to that place where you're not quite worth as much as you used to be. For me, that happened a while ago. Well, I guess, you know, poor old Jeff, he needs to just ride off into the sunset. Let's help him. Despisers of good. We actually go so far in our world today to actually look down on people at times who do good or are trying to do good. Isn't that crazy? We, all, we almost exalt evil. You don't believe that? Look at the video game market. Look at movies, television. Tell me that we do not exalt evil in this country. Look at the content of the television and the movies, the books and the magazines that are the most popular today. They are pure, unadulterated evil. And we exalt it. Traitors, headstrong, haughty. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Boy, howdy. Having a form, and I love this because this is the, this is the secret little piece at the end of this long list of things that seems to be uh, a definition of how society functions today. And again, it's not everyone. Certainly, I would pray it's not us. But a vast majority of the world, you could just look at the world and go, yep, that's how it works right there. But notice what it says at the end. Having a form of godliness. In other words, being religious. Having a form of, it kind of looks godly. They even use godly words. They even have buildings, and they're nice buildings. And they write books, and everybody hangs out together, and they talk about God. 
but deny its power. In other words, nothing's put into practice. No faith, no changed lives, no Christian living, just Christian speaking. You see, I believe that what we see is a world that's on a collision course with God. That's the world that we live in. And again, it's not to be negative, it's simply to acknowledge it and, and to spark us unto godliness and good works. Because we do have an opportunity, so long as we have breath, to make sure that people know the truth about the days and the times that we live in. Because our king is coming. And he is going to one day answer the prayers of the saints. As you look at, think about these things. Murder, hatred. Things that we don't see often, don't think about in our minds as being so abusive. Pornography. Those are somebody's children. Somebody's sister. Somebody's brother. Somebody's wife, aunt, or uncle. That's in those movies. Those are human beings. Abused for the sake of a couple of bucks. What about racism? This plague in our country to where people dislike at such a level as to wish harm upon one another purely for the color difference in their skin. Can you imagine how God is grieved? Can you imagine? It should absolutely incense us, the body of Christ. Can you imagine how God feels? Because he created every last one of us in his image. God delights in the variation. God takes great joy in the diversity. He's the one that authored us the way we are. He's the one that made us as we are. We have no right. We have no right as God's children to do anything other than to love one another as he has loved us. And yet in our world, a couple of streets can make the difference between someone caring for and someone hating someone else. That's our world. I don't believe God's happy about it. Sexual crimes need no comment. Violence, child abuse, the, the gang life, the gang mentality, a lack of respect for authority. When you look at these things and then you, you, you pull out your news source, whether that's the internet or your cell phone or wherever it is that you now get your news. And by the way, I'm just saying, I like newspapers. Just saying. Something about hold, there's something about the noise it makes when you flip the pages. It's like you're doing something. This whole Google me this and Google me that, I don't like it. I'm rebelling. Besides that, my dogs can't go get my cell phone. It's a 
a big thing at our house, going out in the driveway, getting the paper, and bringing it to Dad. You look around our world, just, just a couple of weeks ago in Albuquerque, New Mexico, a man so enraged that he pulls out a gun on the freeway and shoots at another moving vehicle, killing a four-year-old girl in the back seat because somebody cut him off. That's, how do we get there? How does our world get so wound up that that would be in anybody's mind a response to shoot at a vehicle while you're on the freeway? Hateful, despisers of God. That's what happens when you take God out of the equation. You may have remembered back in 1994, about this time of year, a, a, a young mom took her two kids, seat-belted them in to... Uh, her Mazda protege and drove them into a lake and allowed them to drown. Do you know why she did that? Because she was in an affair with a guy and the guy didn't want children. And she felt she was going to lose this illicit relationship with a guy with some money, so she drove her children into a lake. Our world's a mess. And God sees every last one of those children's cries. He hears their pleads. And talk about disrespect to parents and disrespect to authority and the direction. You see, this is why God's storing up all these prayers. This is why these things are storing up for also a day of wrath that's coming. God actually is going to deal with it. But he is waiting for all these things to come to fruition. This year in our country, more than two dozen teachers have been raped in their own classrooms. Eight of them murdered. Hundreds of children raped by their teachers. Several of them murdered. This is crazy. How in the world could we possibly have gotten here? Because we have kicked God out of our schools. He's not welcome anymore. You can't pray. You can't even use his name. You can use every vulgar curse word you can think of. It's perfectly okay, considered free speech. But don't name the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Don't say the name Jesus. You see, that's the problem the world is trying to kick God out of everything. That's what's happening. Well, we, you, it's fine if you believe that, but just don't ever say it. Look, how can I believe something and not say it? Amen? If you're one of those Christians that believe you can believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and never say anything about him, I, I challenge you, find, find that place in the Bible that says you can be a secret Christian. You're supposed to count your own life, not yours. You no longer live for him or live for you. You live for him. The life that you now live, you live because of him. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. If you're a secret Christian, I ask you a question. Are you a Christian at all? Do you actually know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Because if you know him, you can't help but tell people about him. That's what happens. 
But that rebellion is just growing. It, it continues to just get deeper and deeper and deeper. You remember the story of the children of Israel. There was a time in their history. God gave them 400 years to repent, and they didn't repent. Our country's pushing its 300th year. And I would ask the same question. Is he giving us time to repent? I think he is. I think he's being gracious and kind. Leaving room for revival. But one day that judgment's going to begin. Romans chapter 2 tells us it's because of the hardness of men's hearts. That's what's going to happen. Mankind just hardens his heart towards the Lord. And all of a sudden, the Lamb's going to take the scroll. And that final judgment's going to begin. You see that parenthesis we saw in chapter 7 where we see these two groups of people, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists and all those who were martyred Gentile believers. They're now going to get to work. All those things that have been going on, we, just, we see the world uh, being set up for a day and a time where it's just crying out. It's like, Lord, why, why don't you just come today and just get this over with? Because man's not as evil as he can be yet, as hard as that is to believe. That someone would put a bomb on a jetliner and blow it up over the Sinai Peninsula. What mindset is it that causes that? That's wickedness. That's rebellion. That is not God. And that is not, that is not God's business. When someone says, well, you know, we just believe in jihad. We believe in the struggle. If your God is telling you to blow up innocent people on an airliner, then the God that you worship is, is Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, Satan. That's who you're worshiping. And so God's wrath finally begins. So he opens the seventh seal. Notice that it begins with some silence in heaven. For those of you who've ever been to uh, an unveiling or like I've had the, I've had the privilege of going and, and watching a new aircraft rolled out of a hangar and some of those types of things to where, you know, the hangar doors are closed or maybe you've seen a draped piece of statuary or some, you know, art exhibition or whatever. I- initially, while people are waiting, there's almost silence while they're waiting for the doors to open. While they're waiting for the veil to come off, there's this sense of expectation, this sense of awe, this sense of wonder, the sense of what will be, and that appears to be what's happening as these prayers are now being assembled. They're about to be put on the altar of God. They're about to bear their fruit. And all of heaven takes a collective gasp, and they hold their breath. Keep in mind that heaven was bursting forth in worship. Amen? That's what was going on. That's what we've already seen. And now there's going to be this calm before the storm as God's judgment is poured out on this world. It's important that we understand what's going on here. First verse I, I share with you up there on the screen, Zephaniah 1.7, it says, There be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and he has invited the guests. In other words, it's a similar picture. God's saying, look, you, you want it, you got it, you've asked for it, I'm going to give it. 
but I'm still a holy God, so be silent in my presence. That second one in Zechariah chapter 2 there, verse 13, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has been aroused from his holy habitation. It's, it's kind of like kids when they realize that they've made dad mad. They don't have a whole lot to say. It's like, uh-oh, <gasps> big gasp. It's a similar situation. And so the seal is now opened. And so that silence really is in direct response to this angel gathering these prayers and taking them to the altar and is now going to be touched by the fire of God. You see, you have two very distinct types of fire talked about uh, in in Scripture, and we'll get to those in, in a few minutes. But as these seven trumpets are prepared to blow, which we'll get into when we get to chapter Eight and chapter 9, the rest of chapter 8, chapter 9, and then uh, again there in chapter 11. The first four are going to deal with these judgments that are focused on the earth and the last three upon mankind himself. But in both the Old and the New Testament, we can see this picture of God using trumpets to draw attention to all kinds of things. In Numbers chapter 10, we, we see it calling the, the holy assembly together. We see it also sounding the alarm for war. We see trumpets used to bring in the religious feast to announce great news like the, like the crowning of a king. They were used in worship. Zephaniah even would go on there in chapter 1 to, to announce the day of the Lord and the trumpet sounds. In the New Testament, there's actually only two times the trumpet is used for any type of God's announcement. Number one, we're kind of looking forward to, Amen. The trumpet sounds, and we who are alive and remain are out of here. Amen? That'd be a good trumpet sound to hear. Waiting for that trumpet blast, time to come home. I don't know what it's going to sound like, but I know it's going to be music to our ears. Amen? If you like worshiping, get ready for worship. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, reminds us that. Uh, that trumpets will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will all be changed. First Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Again, the trumpet sounds. But there is one other trumpet blast, and it's found right here. And it's the judgment of God. You see, you can either have peace with God, or you can have war with God. That's the two choices. Mankind doesn't like that. Mankind likes the middle ground. It's like, well, I don't really want to have peace with God because I like my sin. But I don't really want to have war with God because I don't want him to get actually totally mad at me. So mankind tries to walk the middle ground. There's only one problem. You can't do that. You're in or you're out. You're either a believer or you're not a believer. You're a saint, you're an ain't. It doesn't, you, you don't get to, there's no place in the middle. You're not a kind of believer wannabe. You're not kind of sort of a believer. You're not like a, a two point out of five believer. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. That's it. It's two choices. So God's refining fire can be in your life and working in you, or you can have his judging fire. That's the two choices. And so as those seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound, the first angel sounds, and you're going to see fire and brimstone's going to follow. 
And so the next thing we see is how these things are are coming together for us in our passage tonight. Notice verses 3 and 4, and I want to highlight these things for you. If you can see pretty, I think you can see fairly clearly here in this diagram. It's actually a diagram of the temple. It's a diagram of the tabernacle. And there are so many things in it that speak to the glory of the Lord, to his presence, and to the things that Christ would do through his life. But notice verse 3 says, And then another angel, having the golden censer, came and stood at the altar. That would be there in the center of the holy place. Not the most holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place. That was in essence the area that, that the high priest would go into first, and it would be there that they would offer up their prayers. And actually the altar of incense was dead in the center of the veil. And so when you went to offer up your prayers, you went to the very place that was the obstruction. You went to where those things would have to be judged. The sin had to be dealt with because to take one step further puts you in the presence of God. So they would offer those prayers at the altar of incense. Psalm 141, verse 2 says, Let my prayers be set before you as incense, lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. In other words, the offering of the incense was related to the prayers before the throne of God. Beyond that veil, which represents the work of Christ, was the presence of God himself. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that veil is now torn. Amen? For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. In other words, the Lord no longer dwells with the children of Israel beyond the veil there between the two cherubim that sat on the Ark of the Covenant, which would have been in the most holy place, the place where your sin would have already been judged, where you would have already offered up your prayers. Christ no longer dwells there. You see, those things, the writer of Hebrews says, those were copies of the true but unto heaven itself, now they appear in the presence of God before us. We actually can go into God's presence right now. We can stand before a holy God because that veil has been torn, amen? When Christ died, what happened when he died? From top to bottom, from heaven to earth, the veil was torn as if God just threw back the curtain and said, come on in. My son paid the price. And now when we think about it, it's entering into his kingdom of rest. Amen? And so the whole tabernacle was a picture uh, of heaven and a picture very specifically of the work of Jesus Christ. That labor, the water of life. You see, you had to take the sin and deal with it. The water of life does that. Amen? Isn't that a picture of Jesus? I am the living water. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that crazy? The whole Hebrew tabernacle was a picture of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The bronze laver that stood out in the middle, this gigantic bronze bowl filled with water where the priest would have gone to the, the altar of sacrifice. You see, you have to sacrifice yourself. You have to pick up your cross. You have to follow him, amen? And then you would go over and rinse off all the stuff Jesus said, I am the living water. And he who drinks of me will never thirst again. 
Notice the next thing you have to do after you get the living water. You got to go through the door. What did Jesus say? Can you imagine him delivering this message on the steps of the temple? I am the door. And all who enter, enter in through me. He was probably pointing to the door. Can you see that door up there? It's actually not the Levites to get you through that. I am the door. And once you stepped inside, you, you would, to the right, have the table of showbread. Didn't Jesus say, I am the bread of life? You get in the picture? You see what he was saying? I am the bread of life. And he who eats of me will never hunger again. How about that burning oil lamp on the other side? Didn't he say, I am the light of the world? You see, when the high priest entered in, they believed that that represented the children of Israel. They believed that that represented the prayers of the saints. They believed that that represented the light of God, eternal. They believed all those things. But when the prayers were offered... They had to take a coal and they had to take the incense which represented the prayer and put it on the coal in the censer and burn it up so that it could get into the Holy of Holies. That's how it got there. The prayers of the saints are now sitting before that same altar in heaven which the tabernacle was a picture of And God is saying, it's time to light those prayers on fire. It's time for them to waft up into my nostrils. It's time for me to deal with these things. This is one of the sweetest pictures in all of Scripture where you see the type, in other words, the picture, the window of the Lord Jesus Christ meeting the reality. You see the altar of sacrifice was located outside of the holy place. Where was the altar upon which Jesus was killed? It was outside of the city, was it not? You see, all of these pictures were, it's like, look, you want to know about Messiah? Just go to temple. The Lord was crucified. And he has to be appropriated. You see, outside of the holy place, the priest had to go offer the the sacrifice for themselves. And then they would go in and they would grab the incense and they would put it on the altar and they would burn the whole thing up. And those prayers went into God's nostrils. It's like, here, Lord, answer these. Now back to our picture in heaven. You see in John 14, verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. You see, God was saying, look, there, there's whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And in other words, you hand those prayers off to Jesus, they go straight into the Holy of Holies. Here they are. God has perfect timing in all these things. And now, just as Hebrews 4 declares, seeing that when we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, there in Hebrews 4, 
uh, verse 14 through 16, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. One of the beauties of Christ, amen, was he fully God, fully man, knew exactly what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be abandoned by his friends. He knew what it was like to psychologically suffer maltreatment. He knew what it was like to be falsely accused. He knew what it was like to live his life in poverty. He knew what it was like to be us. And so that veil, when he tore it, he was opening up the way for us to enter in, but was in all ways tempted as we are and yet without sin. And then the writer of Hebrews says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. You you see, the, the fire of God touches your life and it burns away the dross. It gets rid of the junk. His righteousness touches the sin in our lives and it's gone. That's what happens to us as the body of Christ. God does answer our prayers. He, he does hear the, the cry of the, the, the people that he calls his children. You ever thought about your position as God's kids? And you moms know this. Your children, when they're younger, they have very specific cries for certain things. There's the fakey ones. You know what I'm saying. That's when they're trying to get something out of you. It's like, eh. And then there's the one where you know that they are going to die. And as a parent, you know the difference between the two. God knows the difference between the cries of his kids. There's some who are like, Lord, I don't like this. <laughs> And then there's the, God, help me! He knows the difference between the two. There's the prayers that you're offering. You know, I'd really like to have a new BMW. God, give me this day my daily bread. Because I don't know where it's coming from, Lord. You see, God knows the difference between those. And he's attentive. He's listening. He hears every last word his kids speak. And so all those prayers that you've been offering up, I've been offering up, the church has been offering up for 2,000 years, Lord, thy kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, when are you going to change things? Is this world's going the wrong? It's going the wrong way in Roman times, amen? It's just going wronger. That's not a word, by the way. <laughs> Wronger-ist-ish. A lot. Yeah, it's going the wrong way, and it's going the wrong way fast, and it's going there quicker than it's ever gone that way. But you can be assured of this. The Lord hasn't lost track of his kids. He's not, well, you know, eh, maybe I shouldn't bother. God's placed those prayers, in essence, to the side. It seems strange. It almost seems like, you know, is he, is he really uh, hearing these things? But he is. Why has he done that? That's because his kingdom's not ready to come yet. 
He's not ready to, to bring his kingdom to this earth because when he does that, it's going to be the end of a lot of people. Billions of them, more than likely. We don't know the exact percentage believers versus unbelievers during the tribulation. I happen to be on the side there's going to be an awful lot of people saved during the tribulation. I really just believe that that shows God's grace and his mercy. I believe that shines his character the brightest. But I also know there's going to be a lot of people who are going to perish eternally during the tribulation. And so God in his graciousness is just saying, look, it's not time. And we should be praising Jesus because it's not time yet. As bad as we want it to happen, as bad as we want to go home, you know, I, I think most of us, if, if you have adult children right now, you know, kids that are just getting into life, it's like, oh, Lord, please come back because there's just no hope in this world. I don't know where they're going to, I don't know what they're going to do. How does anyone afford a house? Seriously, think about it. How does somebody save $60,000 so you can put it down on a house here when you make $12 an hour? If Hillary got her way and it goes to 15, it's not enough. It's not even close. You take two or three of those and put them together, it's still not enough. Unless you live in your car for 10 years, but then you can't afford your car or the insurance to park it somewhere. It's not a very bright picture. But eternity's bright. It's real bright. And one day, the Lord is going to just take care of every last one of those prayers. It's all going to come to pass exactly as he has spoken it. So it shall be as he has promised. So it will do. And so... Closing with this, verse 5, And then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar, and he threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Now you can see the release of those prayers to God. They've been stored up. God's been waiting to deal with them. How many hundreds of trillions of them? I don't know, but it's going to be a lot. So your prayers do matter. Just like I, I truly believe that at least in a theological sense, there's going to be one last person who's going to come to Jesus and this all starts. I really believe that. Doesn't mean we should go looking for them. Doesn't mean they're going to have some special mark on them. Doesn't mean it's like, you know, it's got like number 1,975,614,000. You know, it's not like that. But there's going to be somebody... That's the last person that's going to get saved before the trumpet sounds. And all these things are going to start to, to unfold, just exactly as Scripture declares them. The next thing that's going to happen is God's going to act on those prayers by casting his judgment down to the earth. You see, if you've been touched by the refining fire of God, you're good. You won't be touched by the fiery wrath of God. So every one of us has that choice to make. It's the choice of every person in this room tonight. It's interesting when you think about that fire was cast down to the earth. It came from the altar of sacrifice, didn't it? That's where the fire came from. 
It went from the, the, the altar of sacrifice to the altar of incense, the altar of prayer, the same fire because you had to offer it in the one place to bring it to the other. So the sacrificial altar produced the fire. The sacrifice that Christ has made for us, one day the same grace that saves is going to be the grace that brings judgment. Don't miss that. God is perfect in both places. It's not one or the other, as many try and teach. The same fire that burns up sin will destroy the sinner if you don't accept the sacrifice. You you have to accept the sacrifice. That's the only way to escape the fire of God. That's why John 3.16 says what it says. People don't often read the rest of the verses there, 17 and 18. We love the first part. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved, that he who believes in him is not condemned. You see, do you see it? You've got to accept the sacrifice that was made in your behalf. You have to believe it's not just automatic. You, you have to receive it. You have to believe it. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. A lot of people like half of verse 16. They leave out all the rest of it that says, you know what, I've got to make a decision. It's not just all about God's sovereignty. It isn't just about being elected It's about me believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one day there's going to be somebody who's going to be that last person that believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That last set of prayers gets offered up. Fortunately for us, we will already be in heaven. We'll be amongst those numbered with the saints of God before the throne of God. Don't miss that. I'm going to bring the worship team back up. Some of these passages, when you look at them from one perspective versus the other, it's kind of like, oh, man. But look at it this way. God hasn't done it yet. God hasn't chosen to to grab those prayers from the altar and hand them to the angels and go, okay, it's time to go. So there's still time. There's time for everyone to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. There's time to get right and receive that refining fire because you will get refined. You will get stretched. You will get tested. But you won't be condemned. You won't go through these things. You, You won't have to listen to the trumpet sound of judgment because you will have been at the praise service in heaven already worshiping the Lord don't ever think that your prayers have gone unheard for your loved ones amen I'm going to bring the prayer team forward I just want to encourage you if you're here tonight you don't know Jesus it is as simple as believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ inviting him in We'd love to lead you in that prayer. Nobody's here to force you. Because somebody can force you into the kingdom, somebody might be able to force you out. If somebody can convince you to come in, 
then somebody might be able to convince you to come out. It needs to come out of your heart. You need to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. It's you. It's not me. It's not persuasive words. If that's you, please come and be prayed for. For the rest of us, there's still time. As crazy as our world is, we have the answer. And his name is Jesus. Amen? We just, amen. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to pray. We're going to worship the Lord. You need prayer? Come on down. God is good. Let's pray. Father, again, we just are so grateful for the gift of grace. Lord, for that wonderful privilege we have to walk that Romans road, Lord, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so, Lord, tonight, maybe you've touched somebody's heart, and tonight's the night for them. Pray that right where they're at right now, they would simply invite you in. They would invite you to be Lord, Savior. Forgive them. Cleanse them, wash them. Help them to walk with you. Help them to have the courage to come forward and pray with somebody. And God, we bless you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your grace towards our world, Lord. For surely it's only been grace that's held it back this long. And God, we ask for more grace that people might be saved. And so, Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. We know you're going to answer them all one day. And so we just leave them in your hands knowing that you know best. We ask these things in the blessed name of our Savior, Jesus. God's people all said, Amen.